0: Hey, everybody, make sure you stay tuned until the end of this podcast, as you're going to find out there's a workbook available for you that is going to help you with the lost art of closing. So
1: make sure you stay tuned to the end for that special surprise and enjoy the show. What I know about sales that can change people's minds is that it's not something that you do to someone. It's something you're doing for someone and with someone. And once you recognize that you have an obligation to help another individual or a company to get a result that they can't get without you, it changes the nature of how we think about what it is that we're doing. Plug into the
0: minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. Today, we're going straight to the point. We're going for that block that so many people, when they reach out to me talking about sales, is that sticking point that they feel could be terrifying, creates a ton of emotions when it comes up, and maybe feels like one of those frontiers that if only you could overcome this, seems like every other problem could go away. Well, we're gonna investigate even more about closing the deal, getting the money, asking for the credit card, this art of closing. Is this something we can learn? Are there certain people that are gifted to be able to do it effortlessly? And is it something that maybe there are techniques that we don't have within our back pocket that hold us back from ever doing a good job? It's a countless topic that I hear people saying they struggle with, and I wanted to bring the expert today to talk more about this, the lost art of closing. I have the man who has written the book itself about winning the 10 commandments that drive sales. Anthony Anarino is here. He has written multiple books. He's a best-selling author, international speaker, His privately held staffing firm generates annual revenues of $50 million. He's a designer of a level four value creation business methodologies that help sales organization achieve transformational and breakthrough result. Has written two other books on top of that one. Two more are on the way as well. And he's been helping in the B2B space, B2C space. Pretty much a man who speaks on the topic and has been doing it for a long time, even since 16 years old, where he was doing his first inside sales calls. He's here with us to share more about this lost art of closing. Anthony, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's good to meet you. Good to meet you as well. And wow, you've done so much in this field. And this is a question I often ask when I bring sales professionals on this podcast, but most people sales is kind of an afterthought. You seem to have went in two feet deep and you
1: love the process of selling. So what initially made you fall in love with sales? Well, initially I didn't fall in love with sales. So when we are 15 and you start making cold calls, you don't love it right out of the gate, (laughs) but. Fortunately for me, I was good at it, and the reason I was good at it is because I started working when I was 13 years old washing dishes, and so I had a couple advantages. One, I was fearless, and I'm just not a meek person, so that part was really helpful, but the second thing is that I washed dishes from 13 to 15, and I had a super hard work ethic and discipline, so when somebody gave me a list and said, you need to call these people, I didn't know any better. I just made every phone call. And I eventually quit that job to work at a skating rink, which was a much better job at 15 years old than cold calling. But when I quit, they said, you can't quit. You're the only person that's got two deals. Like no one else in the whole company has a deal. And I was like, it doesn't really matter. I have a much cooler job now I'm leaving. And then I joined my family business when I was about 18 years old. That was a staffing business so that I could play rock and roll at night. And I played rock and roll from about 15 years old till about 26 years old, going out to Los Angeles and playing rock and roll on the Sunset Strip and that kind of thing. So that was sort of how I got there. I would tell you what I know about sales that can change people's minds is that it's not something that you do to someone. It's something you're doing for someone and with someone. And once you recognize that you have an obligation to help another individual or a company to get a result that they can't get without you, it changes the nature of how we think about what it is that we're doing. And so for me, it's always been done in service of the other person. And once you take this position and say, my job is to help them create the result that they need. And if I can do that, then they're going to obviously work with me, sign my contract and choose me as the partner. That's all about how you go into this. And if you go into it thinking, I have to do something to them to get them to close, then you're taking a really aggressive stance that's unnecessary because the person that you're talking to needs a better result already. They just need to have a really good conversation about it so that they can be comfortable and move forward and go get the results that you can help them get. You know what i love anthony is that i've spoken to other people who have shared
0: a similar thought about you know not loving sales initially but you kind of found that you were good at it and i wanted to know do you think that's a kind of prerequisite for someone to become a great salesperson is that the moment you try it even though you don't like it there's something natural that you're good at or is this something that can be overcome even if you don't have that initial fun fluid
1: interaction with sales yeah i think a lot of people don't have it right at the beginning Because it's uncomfortable and you're not comfortable with the words, you're not comfortable asking. Some people are just very unhappy asking for things. I've not been one of those people that's afraid to ask for things. I have a gift that way. Not quite as strong as my youngest daughter who asks me every day for about $200 and I have to keep telling her like there's no $76,000 way that I can pay you like there's no way that's not your allowance You don't get an allowance of 76,000, but she asks every day and she's fearless and she gets what she wants because of that So some people I think are wired that way, but I think it's kind of awkward at the beginning And once you start to recognize my job isn't really to do anything except serve this person Like I have to create value for them. I have to help them see something they can't see yet Understand something that they don't understand yet and then give them the best advice and guidance so that they can get the best result possible When you start taking it from that place and you take yourself out of it, like I'm not here to get a deal That will happen naturally if I serve that person well Once you start to just understand like my job is just to create value for them. It gets so much easier so wherever they are in their buyers journey Whatever it is that they're struggling with, where they need your help, if you're a coach or a consultant, like this is where they need you to step in and help them understand what they need to do to get a better result. The person that teaches them is the person that reaches them. That's how it works. So the person who can teach me is going to be the one that reaches me. And when you start thinking about it this way, it's a very, very other-oriented endeavor that we're in. It's always about getting the person the result that they need. Once you get past that, it gets much, much easier. It's one of the things I find
0: interesting, particularly for people who are in the services business, like consultants, coaches, and even creatives, is like the moment that the service has been engaged, like the moment that they are now hired to be of service to these people, things seem to be much easier, much flowing. There's like a commitment to that transformation to the other person. But everything when it comes to the sale and especially when it comes to the close, there seems to be some like, call it a perverted energy or some block that comes up. And even if you come with a mindset that you're here to serve, you have a quality product, there's still a new emotion that comes only when it's a sales process and particularly comes up in closing. I was talking to my client and she did the whole presentation to educate. And when it came to closing, she just like read through the script as fast as possible. She felt more the need of wanting to get them off the phone and get this over with than to do the closing itself. So like, what's going on there?
1: I think some people are afraid of asking because they're not sure they deserve it. So I think what you have to do I'll just, I'll run through the law starter closing for you in the fastest possible way. There's 10 commitments. The first commitment is a commitment for time. So we need to talk. Then we need to explore change because you need some new result. Then we need to know, does it make sense to change? So we need to make sure that we're tracking together. We need to collaborate on what the solution is going to look like. So we need to make sure it's going to work for you. If you have partners or something, you might have to do some consensus building. And we have to talk about money. (laughs) We always have to talk about money. The person on the other side knows that they're gonna need to spend some money. And so it's not a big deal for them. They just need to know how much and what do I get for my money. After that, we have to review what our solution looks like to make sure it's right. We have to resolve the client's concern. If they have any, we have to deal with them directly. And then we ask them for the deal. If you've done the work, if you've created all the value through that conversation, it's the easiest and most natural thing to say, Jason, Mark Campbell, I feel like we've done everything we need. I feel like we have the right solution. I think we're a great fit. What I'd like to ask you to do is sign a contract so that we can go ahead and put this solution in place for you. I mean, why wouldn't I ask to do this if I've already created the value for him? And if he's going, yeah, this is what I was hoping somebody would do, but you can't get there and go like, well, if I was able to give you a 15% discount today, would you buy? Like, why did you just take the value of your solution down? Because you don't have the language. So a lot of this is just not knowing the language. If I said, Jason, unless you need something else, If you have some concern that I still haven't resolved for you, I'd like to ask you to sign a contract today. And I'd love to put this solution in place for you starting at the beginning of next week. What does that look like for you? You don't have to be afraid of this conversation. We've been engaged in the sales conversation and they're hoping that you can help them. They're hoping that you can help get the result that they need and that you're going to be the partner that they've been looking for, but you still have to just ask. So if you think about this, Can I create enough value in the conversation to deserve to ask that question and have the person say yes? Now, if I've done all the teaching, if I've done all of the consulting, if I've done everything to prepare you for this, then it's the most natural thing in the world. But if you feel like I didn't create a lot of value, that's when people start to think like, it's hard for me to ask for this because I don't know if I've earned this or not. So you earn it first by having a good conversation with the individual, maybe multiple conversations. And then after that, you ask in the most natural, easiest way possible. Just be as direct as you can. You don't have to try to come up with tricky. I know there's still closing books out there that have all kinds of like the doorknob close. I don't even know what the doorknob close is. What does that mean? It just doesn't ever make any sense to me than just to be as candid as possible And just ask directly.
0: I love that. And I would probably want to open this up with the following question, which is, within these commandments, within these 10 steps, and knowing that people still have struggles with closing, is there something you found in your research that is one of the steps that most people skip? And what kind of consequences come
1: up if they do skip that? They skip things that they find difficult for them. So let me share this with you. So one thing, if you have a sensitivity about money and you don't want to talk about money, you will wait until the very end to disclose the money. Now that for me is the worst possible thing that you could do because I would want to have that conversation early and say, Jason, a program like the one that you're talking about is about $27,000 over the course of a year. And let me share with you what that $27,000 is gonna cover and what kind of results you can expect. And the reason I do that early is because I wanna make sure that they understand the value that I'm gonna create and that they understand how the program's gonna work. I don't wanna surprise them at the end. So what happens is when you don't have that conversation and then at the end, you give them the sticker shock of $27,000, then they're like, well, oh, I didn't know it was gonna be this much. Why didn't you tell them that? Because you're sensitive about the money. But they're not as sensitive about the money as you are they're more sensitive about getting the result that they need so that's one that people generally skip one of the ones that they really skip is the commitment to change so we can have a really nice discovery conversation and then we can move on and do more discovery and have lots of conversations without the individual committing to yes i want to change and so a lot of times you go all the way to the end you hand over a proposal and you never hear back from that person because they never committed to the change they only committed to the discovery so at some point you have to ask jason is now the right time for you to go on this journey and to go and get these new results are you going to be able to give us the time and are you going to be able to make this investment and is this something important enough that you want to do it in 2022 now I need to ask those questions because I need to know where Jason is and he can be wherever he happens to be. And he might think, well, I wasn't sure about this, but I have some questions. Okay, good. Then those are concerns and we'll deal with them. And if you ignore those concerns and you don't take care of that person, then it's easy for them to just sort of wander off away from this process. So one of the rules in the book is control the process. I'm not trying to control the individual. I'm trying to control the conversations to make sure that they get everything that they need in that conversation so that they can be competent moving forward.
0: It sounds so good when you say it and honestly, it makes it so smooth. It seems to me like in the industry where there's so much like fear of call it rejection or fear of a lost opportunity, if you bring those forward, it's almost like, we'll say it just at the end, get that sticker shock, as you mentioned. And you wouldn't want to get somebody like they call it a pre-close or getting people to understand if they have a little of commitment to that change. It's like, oh, I should just wait last minute so that at least maybe there's something in my presentation that'll make them change their mind. and And it's almost like we don't want to face that truth. Is
1: that a bit what's going on? Some of it is. Yeah. And I think part of this is Who do you believe should be leading the other person who should be leading? I do what I do every single day. I'm a coach. I'm a consultant. I work with some of the largest companies in the world, SAP, like big, big, very large companies, which one of us should be leading. I'm the one that has all the experience helping people get this result. So I know more than you know about how to get this result. So I should lead you and I should tell you what conversations that we need to have and how you should think about these decisions because I'm the one that does it every day. So just imagine I'm a Sherpa and I walk people up Everest. I walk people up Everest every day. You show up at Everest and you're like, I'm gonna walk up there. No, (laughs) I'm gonna help you walk up there because you have no idea how to get up there without killing yourself. So let me help you with this. So the way that you have to think about your obligation is that the person who can create the result is responsible for guiding the other person. So you don't have to worry about whether or not they want to talk about money because they need to. You don't have to worry about whether or not they want to make the change or not because you still have to find out whether or not that's true. And if they're not ready to change, maybe you need to help get them ready to change. Or maybe you need to come back and say, listen, you probably need three months to get ready to do this. Let's get back together and make sure that we take care of you so that you can get those results. It's just an obligation to serve the other person. And if I were to just describe sales as anything, it's the obligation to help a person get a result that they can't get without you. And when you sit in that space and you occupy that space and think I can get this person the best result possible, but they're going to need to do these things along the way for this to be true. That's the spot that you want to find yourself in. And so don't worry about, am I being aggressive because you don't need to be aggressive to do this. And don't worry about what about the other person? They're going to want to have some conversation about this. We're going to invite them into a whole bunch of conversations, but ultimately you should be the one that helps them make the decision for them because you have greater experience than they do. We call this the one-up position. I know more than you know. Now for me to get you the result, I have to transfer what I know to you so that you can make the decision that I would make in your behalf if I was making it. So that's the way you think about this. I love this approach so much. And I was going to say for people that are maybe just starting,
0: they're listening to this and they feel like they're in a kind of catch 22 situation. It's like, ah, I'm just getting started. I don't feel like I've earned the right to be this leader. And I, there's some uncertainty that I feel. So I'm supposed to communicate confidently, even though I have anxieties right now, given that I'm maybe new to this field, I'm new in the profession. I know for myself, I actually did phone sales in my late teens, similar to you, that actually got me a lot of confidence and kind of deal with this fear of rejection, right? I don't know if there's prescriptions or things you share, that can help anybody that's at the beginning stages of their
1: career. Well, when I was 17 years old, I had a girlfriend and she broke up with me. And we'd been together for months. When you're 17, that's like a long time. It seems like a long time, right? Yes, yeah, so it's forever. And what she said to me was I'm breaking up with you because you're a loser and you're always going to be a loser. My mom thinks you're a loser, my sisters think you're a loser. And that's why I'm breaking up with you a little harsh, a little harsh. That's rejection. That's rejection. That's actual rejection. But when somebody says, I'm not ready to do that right now, that's not rejection. That is not the same kind of rejection. So when you say rejection, like I have an actual rejection that was emotional, right? But when people say, no, it's not the right time for me to do this right now. I promise you're not actually being rejected. They're just not ready to move yet. So don't call it rejection. Just say they're not quite ready to make this decision yet, so we need more time. Okay, that's it. When people get the word no, what no means is just a couple things. It means you didn't create enough value for me. It means your approach didn't work. You need to try something else. It means not right now but i'm still interested in doing this but i need more time so don't interpret anything as other than just feedback for you so when somebody says no unless they say jason mark campbell i would buy from anybody but you because i hate your face and then you're like wow that didn't go at all like i thought it was gonna go but that never will ever happen to you they're just saying no because they need more information and they need you to adjust, but don't interpret any no as a rejection. Cause it's really not a rejection at all. Now if you're new and you don't really know where you are just because you're new. And so everybody starts in that spot. What you want to focus on is there's this buyer's journey and the lost art of closing is my version of the buyer's journey. So time, explore, change, collaborate, consensus, invest, review, just work them through those conversations, just work them through the conversations and say, let's talk about what's going on in your world and let's explore what kind of results do you need? And then just have that conversation and then say, does it make sense for us to continue on and pursue this change together so that you can get these results that you've been talking about? Just have that conversation and then say, here's some of the ways that we might do this together. Let's figure out which of these ways might be the best for you. Let's figure out which one is going to be perfect for you where you are right now. And then if you just think, I'm facilitating this conversation for them, I'm facilitating this way for them to think about how they go about getting better results. Once you start doing that, the other person's going like, this is super valuable to me. I didn't know this was a choice. I didn't know that we could do it this way. And then you keep going through this thing and you start talking about, well, there's different investments. Let's talk about what investment might work for you. All you're doing is creating value for the other person. You're not asking for anything except for let's have these conversations. The better you get at those conversations and the more comfortable you are, the end of this, you've created enough value that it's super easy to just ask, can I go ahead and put this in place for you? I mean, you don't have to try to come up with new words, just ask, if this all makes sense to you and you don't have any other concerns, I'd love to ask you to sign a contract, get your credit card, and I'd love to get you started on Monday next week. Like just ask. There's no reason not to ask. The person is going to go and pursue those results with someone. But my argument would be it's going to be the person that creates the greatest value for them. So the person that spends time with them and helps them with those conversations makes it really easy to ask at the end. Very easy. There's one more commitment though I didn't even mention the 10th commitment and that's the execution. So a lot of times you can get the contract signed and then have your clients still not do the work that they need to do. And that means we need to go back over what we did with them and go ahead and make sure that they do the work that they need to do to get the better result that they need. And sometimes they give up on themselves and you've got to go back and sort of resell them on themselves and what they need to do to get those better results. That's actually the hardest nine asking for the deal is easy. Getting them to change can be a lot more difficult. This is super
0: valuable. And it's actually allowing us to kind of take away the charge around closing and realize that there's a sprinkle of discovery, a sprinkle of education and valuation that's happening throughout the entire conversation. But I was going to say, if let's say the conversation you're having isn't going necessarily according to the structure that you were anticipating. Like maybe it's, you're in the middle of the conversation, someone's like, well, how much is it? Like something just happens that kind of derails the frame that you were in. Are there things we should know about times that it's not good to ask for a close? Or are there like, should you always ask for the close if you're looking to do business with them?
1: I think your client has the right to ask for whatever they need at the moment they need it. So if they need to talk about money, And at the very beginning, if they say, you know, Anthony, how much is this going to cost? I'm not going to avoid that conversation at all. I'm going to say for a lot of people, it's between 20,000 and 30,000. And what we would have to do is to have another conversation to find out where that would be for you, but it's going to be somewhere in that range. What does that sound like to you? I'm not going to be afraid to deal with that. They can pop up with a concern at any time. I'm not sure we have the bandwidth to do this right now. How would we be sure that we have the bandwidth? I'm going to have to deal with whatever shows up. So the structure in the law start of closing is nonlinear. It's always going to be nonlinear because the client at any time can give you a new question, a new concern that they have. They can ask about money. They can ask about, have you done this for other people? I'd like this, have some proof you know, they can do whatever they do while they're there. Your job is just to respond to that. So you're like water. If they throw a rock in the water, the rock hits the water, there's ripples, and then it stops for a minute, right? So that's it. So that's what you get. You get that every single time. So if they need something, you just respond to them in the way that creates the greatest value for them. Let me help you understand the investment that we would ask you to make, and I'll show you a range of choices, and we'll see which one might make the most sense for you. I'm going to take control back over that conversation They threw it up, but I'm not afraid of it because we're going to talk about money eventually. Anthony, I absolutely love this conversation. Thank you so
0: much for sharing some more here. I think for a lot of us that have struggle with closing again you've just distributed this pressure or this charge around the close and to understanding that the whole conversation is really something that needs to be based in value creation that has to be based with understanding that you're looking for a dialogue and the closing is just something that happens casually at the end doesn't need to have this whole big pressure around it because if you've done all the steps throughout then you see that pressure won't be as Hi. What I'll encourage everybody is in the show notes. You will see there's a link to the lost art of closing and you'll get a chance to go deeper into this topic. As you go into Anthony's work, you see that this is going to be something that is super helpful. If this is something you particularly struggle with, we really want to make sure that you understand that closing is an art. It's not complicated. It doesn't need to be tricky. It's just how are you doing the process that allows you to understand if what you provide is really going to solve the problem for them. I'm so grateful we were able to cover so many angles in this conversation. Anthony, thank you for your time and for everybody listening. Go out there. Don't be afraid for the close. Go and have those conversations and have more success in whatever it is that you sell while providing value to everybody in the process.
1: Jason, I will send you the workbook for the loft of closing so that if anybody on your list. Once a copy of it, and give it to them. We've got a giant workbook that you can give people if you want to. That's amazing. Anthony, this was awesome. Thank you
0: so much for your time. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.